Welcome to Treadmill Talks with Shannon Maves, a podcast for athletes and fitness enthusiasts to pass the time during mind-numbing cardio while I use my no-bullshit coaching style to educate, inspire, and entertain. I'm your host, Shannon Maves. Now let's walk and talk. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 25 of Treadmill Talks, the one about supplements. Anyone who has been following me for a while now knows that I firmly believe that supplements should be supplemental, meaning that we should always try to get as many nutrients as possible through single ingredient whole foods whenever we can. While I do wholeheartedly believe this, nutrient deficiencies are a very real thing. Sometimes it's because of our own lifestyle or dietary choices, but some deficiencies are becoming more and more common because of reasons like the soil that our food grows in nowadays has become so depleted in nutrients due to the mass production of crops. So occasionally I do recommend supplements to clients, but The majority of the supplements I want to discuss today are supplements that aren't typically needed because of nutrient deficiencies, but rather the types of supplements that most people take in hopes of improving things like training performance or body composition. The first supplement I want to discuss is protein, because so many people rely on supplemental protein to hit their daily goal whether it's in the form of a protein powder or a protein shake or bar or in the form of all of the other shit they have nowadays like protein chips or muffins or cookies. Those are all supplements. That's why so many of them are sold in the supplement aisle of stores and not really in the food aisles. Sure, some forms and some brands are better than others, and some of them have single-ingredient foods in them, and whey protein is a great source of protein for building muscle, but if you're someone who is looking to improve body composition or athletic performance, then I swear to you, you are going to look and feel a lot better if you hit your daily protein goal by consuming primarily single ingredient whole foods and limit the amount of protein bars and shakes and chips that you're eating. Let me explain why. For one, any packaged food is allowed a 20% margin of error on their nutrition labels. And on top of that, supplements are not regulated by the FDA. So you've got companies like Bambody. Yeah, I'm calling them out by name. Bambody is getting busted numerous times for straight up lying on their nutrition labels. There was a, quote, protein brownie or something that they sold a while back claiming something like nine grams of protein when it really only had three grams of protein. Not only that, but they were also claiming that the damn thing had literally half the total calories that it actually did. They just straight up lied about what was in it and hoped that they wouldn't get caught. 
then you've still got to consider all of the other shit that is in those products. Because you've got other companies who are adding all kinds of fillers and junk to their products and then labeling them something like proprietary blend in hopes that you just won't question what the fuck that is. There's also a huge percentage of protein bars and cookies and stuff that contain shit like sugar alcohols nowadays too. And while some people can digest a moderate amount of sugar alcohols without any problems, if you're consuming a ton of these products regularly, you're probably going to start to have some GI issues after a while. And there are a lot of people who don't digest sugar alcohols very well in any amount, myself included. Good God, I am in legit pain if I have something with xylitol or sorbitol or whatever the fuck tall, which is frustrating as fuck when I do need to get protein from a supplemental source. And yes, I will get into that in just a second because there are always instances when supplemental protein is just fine. Remember how I've said that there's always a gray area with nutrition and everything is fine in moderation? But aside from supplements not being regulated by the FDA, if you're in a fat loss phase and you're getting a lot of your protein from shit like shakes or cookies, then you're making your life even harder than it needs to be by increasing feelings of hunger. Because there have been plenty of studies done showing evidence that chewing your calories is more satisfying than drinking them. Okay, so let's go back and talk about that gray area now, though. When is supplementing protein beneficial? Well, one instance would be if you are maybe in a building phase and you're just not very hungry, so you're struggling to hit your protein goal every day because you feel so damn full all the time. Then I would say that getting protein from a less filling source could actually be for the best. Another instance would be if you are super busy, go, 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 and you don't have many other options. Then running into a store to grab something like a protein shake is at least better than skipping a meal. Or maybe you're trying to stop overeating those damn delicious Oreos then perhaps replacing an exorbitant amount of Oreos with a sweet protein-packed treat could be a good alternative. There's also a ton of different types of protein supplements, like whey, casein, soy, etc., and they all have their pros and cons too. Whey protein is a great choice for post-workout because it is quick digesting, meaning that it is going to provide your body with the nutrients it needs when it needs them the most but it also means that it's not going to keep you feeling as full, which again, for some people might be a good thing. Casein protein is a great choice for people who do want to feel more full because it is a slow digesting protein, which is why a lot of people recommend taking it before bed. The idea is that it can prevent your body from going into a catabolic state while it is fasting during sleep. But whey and casein both contain dairy, which a lot of people don't digest well. And they're obviously not a great choice for vegans. So there's other sources like soy and rice protein, which can be great for someone who is a vegan or has a lactose intolerance. But those types of proteins don't contain as many amino acids as something like whey, which has all nine of the essential amino acids, making it literally just a superior choice for building muscle. 
I could go on for quite a while about protein, but since this episode is about supplements in general and not just protein, I do want to move on. But first, actually, I want to quickly mention the difference between isolates and concentrates. Isolates go through more processing than concentrates do, which gives them a higher percentage of protein in comparison to carbs and fats. And it even eliminates some of the lactose, which helps a lot of people digest isolates better. They're typically more expensive than concentrates because of this, but generally speaking, I recommend going for an isolate if you can afford it, unless you like drinking extra carbs and fats and getting the bubble guts from drinking tons of lactose. (laughs) But okay, enough about protein. Let's move on to another super popular and very heavily studied supplement, creatine. Creatine is a compound that helps your body produce energy during your lifts. There's something called the ATPPC system, which stands for adenosine triphosphate and phosphocreatine. I'm going to attempt to explain this process as simply as I can so that you can get a better understanding of exactly how creatine actually works. For all of my fellow science nerds out there, I apologize for the information that I am going to be intentionally omitting. I just want to keep this concept fairly easy to digest. Okay, so when you're lifting, your body is using ATP, or adenosine triphosphate, for energy. But when your body runs out of its ATP stores, it then taps into your phosphocreatine stores for continued energy. Now, this system doesn't last very long, only like 10 seconds or so before your body runs out of all of these energy stores completely, resulting in what we refer to as true physical failure, which I'm going to be brutally honest, a lot of people have never actually experienced true physical failure because quitting your set when it starts to hurt is not the same as physical failure. But okay, I digress. (laughs) What supplementing with creatine does now is it increases those backup energy stores that your body uses when it runs out of those ATP stores. So even though it might only give you an extra 10 seconds of energy during a lift, those extra 10 seconds might mean an extra one or two repetitions that you may not have been able to push out without it. And that's where it can help with building muscle and improving body composition. Creatine also indirectly helps with recovery as well, since it hydrates your muscles. And muscles need to be hydrated in order to properly recover. But it's not a supplement that is really intended for recovery. And because it does hydrate your muscles, it can cause some water retention when you first start taking it. But don't let something like water retention scare you away from it. Because even if you do feel puffy or bloated when you first take it, your body will eventually get used to it. And that water retention will kind of get shuttled to the right places and you'll probably start to notice better pumps in the gym because your muscles are hydrated and fuller. Some of you may have heard about doing a loading phase with creatine when you first start taking it, but honestly, I'm personally not a huge fan of this method 
because even though it can help your body absorb it more quickly and help you notice the benefits of it sooner than if you weren't to do a loading phase, it can cause some more unpleasant side effects like water retention. What I recommend doing is taking the normal three to five gram dose daily and just being patient. But the key is that you have to take it daily. If you're taking creatine sporadically, then you aren't giving your muscles the chance to become fully saturated with it. And you're kind of just wasting your money and possibly causing unnecessary bloating. You've got to be consistent about taking it in order to reap the benefits of it. But contrary to what some fitfluencers might have told you, it doesn't matter what time of day you take it because it is not quick digesting. The fact that there is a recommended loading phase should be evidence enough that it doesn't fucking matter whether you take your creatine with your pre-workout or your post-workout. If someone claims that taking creatine with their pre-workout helps their energy or their pumps or something, it's most likely because their creatine has added caffeine or sodium or something, or they're taking it along with a stack of some other supplements that are quicker digesting. As far as forms of creatine, there is creatine monohydrate and creatine HCL, which is relatively newer to the market and quite honestly, not as heavily researched as creatine monohydrate is. The benefits of creatine monohydrate have been backed by science time and time again, whereas HCL is more just theoretically thought to be superior as of right now but there's actually not much evidence supporting those claims. But supplement companies are banking on the little bit of information that supports the claims of HCL being better, so they're charging more money for it, even though monohydrate is completely effective. If you want my advice, save your damn money and go for the monohydrate. The next supplement I want to go over is one of my personal favorites because it is one that I can actually feel a physical difference when I'm taking it versus when I'm not taking it. And that is glutamine. Glutamine is a non-essential amino acid, meaning that it is produced by the body and therefore we shouldn't have to supplement it. But anecdotally, I can tell after just a few days without taking it how much my recovery suffers. This is because it is thought to have anti-catabolic effects due to its ability to heal wounds. And when you're training hard enough in the gym, you're creating a ton of little micro tears in your muscles, which are quite literally wounds. I've never really noticed a huge difference in my training or anything while I've been taking it. But as soon as I run out or have to stop taking it for whatever reason, I seriously get so sore after training, which is probably because my body is struggling to heal all of those little micro tears. And it's not just me. I was actually reading a double blind study where one group was given glutamine and another group was given a placebo. They did the exact same exercises with the same sets and repetitions and accounted for as many variables as possible and the group that was taking the glutamine reported lower levels of soreness than the group who was taking the placebo. And if anyone is interested, I will totally send you the link to the study if you want me to. 
because I am not the fucking fitfluencer that just says shit like I read a study when what they really mean is that they read a forum on bodybuilding.com or Reddit or some shit. When I say I read a study, I mean I actually read a fucking meta-analysis or a case study or something with some actual merit because I geek out on this shit and go down some serious rabbit holes sometimes. And based on my research, I've come to the conclusion that glutamine is fucking dope because not only does it help with muscle recovery, but it's also been shown to have a positive effect on things like gut health, brain function, and immune system. A number of clinical studies have even shown that it is especially beneficial in preventing infections post-surgery, and it has helped the recovery of severe burn victims. But something to consider is that the people who do benefit from supplementing with glutamine are the people who tend to be more deficient in it. And not everyone is going to be deficient in it. So that's why it's kind of hard to say whether or not you would personally benefit from supplementing it. Another supplement that has some research supporting its efficacy is BCAAs or EAAs. BCAAs are branched chain amino acids. EAAs are essential amino acids. And the branched chain amino acids are three of the nine essential amino acids, which are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Essential amino acids are amino acids that our body does not produce, and therefore they are essential for us to get through food. So my belief is that supplementing with something like BCAAs or even EAAs depends highly on your individual diet. For example, it's a lot more likely that a vegetarian or a vegan is not going to be getting enough of them through food alone and might notice improvements in their training by supplementing with them. I'll also assign them once in a while to a client who is deep in a fat loss phase and maybe just has low food in general or can't get their protein very high for some reason. But if I do assign them, I'm honestly kind of lax on what type they take as long as whatever they're taking contains leucine. Because leucine is the amino acid that is considered to be the, quote, light switch to muscle growth, meaning that it essentially turns on your muscle's ability to synthesize protein. All in all, though, I really think BCAAs or EAAs are kind of a take-it-or-leave-it supplement. If you think you're not getting enough of those aminos for whatever reason, and you've got the funds to supplement with them, then go for it. But if you're eating enough food and getting a good variety with your food, or if you just don't really want to spend extra money on supplements, then I think you're probably fine leaving them be. There are, of course, some other supplements that are thought to improve things like athletic performance and body composition, but those are pretty much the heavy hitters that I really wanted to go over today. The rest of the supplements I want to discuss are a bit more general, I guess, because things like multivitamins are also considered supplements. And this is where I'm going to kind of circle back to what I mentioned about nutrient deficiencies and the mass production of crops at the beginning of this episode. Because one of the problems with mass producing crops is that the soil those crops grow in eventually becomes severely depleted in things like vitamins and minerals. So even if you're getting all five servings of fruit and vegetables every day, you still might not be getting enough of some of those specific nutrients. 
I mentioned last week in the episode about cravings that a lot of women crave things like chocolate and red meat during their periods because they can become deficient in nutrients like magnesium and iron, respectively. Vitamin D is another one that tons of people don't get enough of. And even sodium. It might be kind of a gray area whether or not you want to label something like salt as a supplement, but since it is something that we should be able to get through food, and yet so many of us are having to add salt to our meals or sometimes adding to our drinks in the form of something like an element pack, then I'd say it's still a supplement. I'm not about to dive into every single vitamin and mineral and explain whether or not you should be supplementing with it because this episode is already getting to be a little bit longer than what I typically like to release. And one of the very first episodes I did was on micronutrients. So if you want more information on a specific vitamin or mineral, give that episode a listen or send me a DM asking what you want to know more about. But keep in mind that unless you are a client and I know all of the ins and outs of your personal diet, lifestyle, etc., I might not be able to help a ton since I am not a medical professional and without getting any actual blood work done, there is no surefire way to know whether or not you have a true deficiency. And come to think of it, I'm just going to put my little disclaimer here rather than waiting till the end because this episode is in no way suggesting that you should be supplementing with anything. It is not meant to be a replacement for medical help or one-on-one coaching. My intention is just to spread the information and knowledge that I have acquired over the 15 plus years that I've been working in the fitness industry to help you make your own informed decisions. But I encourage you to always do further research and or speak with your physician before supplementing with anything. Okay, now that that's out of the way, I want to cover one last supplement that was requested by a couple of people, which is collagen. Oh boy, collagen. Talk about a trendy fucking supplement. I actually started taking collagen years ago because I had read about the positive effects that it can have on osteoarthritis, which I have in my foot. And let me tell you, it did not do jack shit for me. I tried multiple different kinds and brands and felt like I just threw away money. But like I said, that was years ago. There's obviously been more research done since then, and I'm sure that supplements on the market nowadays are more bioavailable. However, I still think it's pretty overhyped. Kind of just my opinion. But if your goal is body composition and you're counting a collagen supplement toward your daily protein intake... I'm going to go ahead and bet that you're probably not super stoked with your results. Am I right? This is because although collagen is a protein, it is a protein that primarily helps building and repairing connective tissue. Yes, it's also found in muscles to an extent, but collagen is more so the building block for things like skin, bones, tendons, and cartilage. So, I mean, Sure, I think it could indirectly help with body composition for those reasons, because having stronger bones and joints is going to help you get stronger overall, but supplementing with collagen is more beneficial for things like skin elasticity. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode, even though I'm sure there are more supplements you guys want to know about. So again, feel free to DM me with questions. 
But before I conclude, I want to emphasize my genuine belief that supplements should be supplemental. They are not even the icing on the cake, but rather the sprinkles on the icing on the cake. First, you've got to put together the ingredients that make up the cake. Then you've got to bake the cake. Then you've got to let it cool. And then you can ice it before you can add any decorations. And what I mean by that analogy is that supplements are not going to do shit for you unless you've got your training in check, your diet in check, your sleep hygiene dialed in, your stress managed, and your overall recovery managed. Because supplements aren't some magical shortcut to get you better results. They're just something that can help you push to get that like 1% difference in performance or body composition. If you want a fucking shortcut, you're not going to find it at GNC or vitamin shop. You're going to need to get on some fucking gear, which is what I'm actually going to be covering in next week's episode. The one about PEDs. I know you're not going to want to miss that one. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to my podcast. Doing so will let you know when new episodes are released and the support of having more followers helps my channel move up in the ranks when people search it. I'd also love it if you could take just a second to give a five-star rating to the episodes that you especially liked or found helpful to help me get treadmill talks out there to others as well. Something as simple as taking a screenshot and sharing it to your social media also helps me get a lot more reach than you might think. And I do these episodes because I genuinely want to help others and spread information, which is exactly why I'm doing something like recording an episode on performance enhancing drugs, because that shit needs to be discussed. As a competitive bodybuilder who has been in the sport for quite a while now, it is mind blowing to me how little dialogue there is out there about such commonly abused substances. So help me help others and share or rate this episode and tune in next week to learn more about steroids like Anavar, Winstrol, and Primo, fat burners like Clenbuterol, hormone replacement therapy, and the recently popular semiglutide, which yes, is a fucking PED. It doesn't matter if your doctor is prescribing it. Doctors also prescribe anabolic steroids. And real quick, Something else I forgot to mention on the topic of supplements is that if you do decide to supplement with something, please make sure that you are getting it through a reputable brand. Since supplements aren't regulated by the FDA, you'll want to look for full disclosure companies that are third-party tested and not just trust whatever your favorite fitfluencer is promoting on Instagram because they are getting paid to promote that stuff. And a lot of times they don't even take that stuff. Okay. I think I finally said everything I wanted to say. So if you've made it this far, then I just want you to know how much I fucking appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Treadmill Talks. If this episode taught you something, lit a fire under your ass, or at least helped you forget how long you've been walking in place, please leave a review or take a screenshot to share on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at Shannon Maves so I can give you some love right back. And thanks again for listening to my Treadmill Talk.